Well, if you brought your Bibles, let's uh, keep shouting going while we turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we want to look at a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll look at a couple of verses. Now, if you're a guest here this morning at Mountain View Baptist Church, or perhaps you're listening to our service, or will be listening to our service on TV tomorrow night and during the week, you may not understand the purpose of our Renew 2014 theme. And so I want to share just a little, just to remind you, or perhaps inform some of you this morning about this theme. Renew 2014 is something that God shared with me some time back. And it's really just an opportunity for us as God's people to reflect upon and to renew our commitments that we've made to the Lord on the day that we were saved. Now, I mentioned this last week, that if it's, if it's really our desire to allow God to use us to, to spiritually impact our family and our friends and our school and our community as a whole, uh, in the coming weeks or coming months, coming years, we have to be willing to renew our commitments that we've made to the Lord in the past. Now, our first commitment that we reflected upon at uh, the beginning of the month was the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We reflected upon the point that when we asked Christ to come into our life, we submitted to His Lordship over our life. The word Lord there means one who has all power and authority and control. And so from time to time, we find that if we're not careful, we kind of gain those things ourselves. In other words, we have the power over our lives, and we try to control our lives, and we try to, uh, uh, to have the authority over our lives. And so there comes times where we have to look at that commitment we've made, and we put Christ where he rightfully belongs, and that's on the throne of our life as submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Last week, we reflected upon the, the, the word church. We talked about the universal church. We talked about the importance of the universal church, more so the importance of the local church. And for one to say that I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, and really I'm not required to be a member or be involved in a local church, we found that that is really contrary to, to the teachings of the New Testament and the, the design of God for the church. And so if you don't have a local body where you're a committed member, where you worship, where you serve, where you exercise your spiritual gifts, but then you're living contrary to the will of God for your life in regards to the church. And so uh, we, we kind of reflected uh, upon our commitment to the church, and many came during the invitation hymn and, and renewed that commitment to to the local church. This morning, I want us to reflect and to renew our commitment to the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The priesthood of Jesus Christ. Let's look, if you will, at 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we want to look at a couple of verses that speak of this priesthood of of believers. First Peter chapter two. 
Look at verse 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Verse 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now as you read 1 Peter, and beginning primarily with this first chapter, those few verses, Peter describes a building in which Christ is a living stone. Now last week, when we talked about the church, we discussed a great, in great detail in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, the famous words of Jesus after Peter had made his great confession. When Jesus asked Peter, Whom do men say that I am? Well, Peter said, Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're just the prophet. And Jesus said, Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes his great confession. He says, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Thou art Peter. And he used the word Peter there, which is a word in the Greek, which is Petros, which means a, a stone, a small pebble. Thou art Peter. Thou art a pebble. Thou art a small stone. Thou art Peter. And upon this rock, and he uses the word Petra, which means a large stone. Really, literally, it means an unmovable, massive rock. Thou art Peter, a pebble, but upon this rock, upon this Petra, this unmovable mass of rock, I will build my church. And so we know that Christ was referring to himself. Now some believe that Peter is the rock in which the church was built. However, as we looked at First Peter, we now have the words of Peter himself. And he says, no, I'm not the rock. And so he begins to describe this living stone there in verse 4. He says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed or rejected indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And so he begins to describe this living stone, disallowed by men, rejected by man, rejected by men. You know, man wants to build his own life. He wants to do his own thing. And so Christ came and man rejected Christ. He rejected this living stone. But this living stone was chosen by God and he's precious. But he was just cast aside by man. But Christ is the living stone. The word living there, zoe, is the, is the Greek word for that. And the stone has life. The word zoe means it has life. This living stone, Christ, has all of life. He has he has resurrected life. He has eternal life. It's all life in this living stone, Christ, Zoe. So this living stone, this living stone is a supportive stone. It's the first stone. It's the cornerstone. All stones are placed upon the living stone. It's not Peter, but it's Christ. So Christ, first, is the living stone of the church. 
But something interesting there in verse 5, not only do you have a living stone, but you have other living stones. Verse 5 says, if you'll notice, says, Ye also are living stones, or lively stones. So we as Christians are lively stones. We're living stones. Um, we're living stones. Just like the living stone, we're living stones. We will exist forever, just like the living stone. We have the resurrection life. We have the eternal life. We, we're living stones. So like Christ, the believer comes a, a living stone. And so we're built up. He says we're built up a, a spiritual house, not a physical house. But we're built up a, a, a spiritual house, not a physical house that decays, rots, collapses, falls in. But we're built up a spiritual house, one that doesn't age, one that doesn't deteriorate, one that doesn't decay. It's obviously here Peter has the church in mind as he refers to this spiritual house. So Christ is the foundation rock of the church. And we're all of these living stones that's added to that church or that building, the spiritual building, which Christ is the foundation rock. He's the, the living stone. He's the cornerstone. And so Peter says that Christ is the living stone of the spiritual house, i.e. the church, and all other believers are these living stones in this building. And so as I look out at you, myself included, we're just living stones in the building, the spiritual house known as the church. And each one of these living stones has, a, has been placed where he or she belongs by the master builder himself. So you can see it coming together. So first, Jesus is the living stone. He's the rock. Secondly, all believers are living stones in this spiritual house, which is a metaphor for the church. But notice third, we as believers are a holy priesthood. Look, if you will, at verse 5. He says, You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So not only are we part of the spiritual house, but he says that we're part of a holy, separated unto God, priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament, Entrance into the priesthood was, con was controlled strictly by the Mosaic Levitical Code. Not everyone could be a priest. The priesthood was limited to, to uh, the tribe of Levi, uh, particularly to the family of Aaron. And so the tribe of Levi was designated as the priest. But Aaron's family primarily held that position. And so the profession of a priest, the profession of priesthood, was open to no one else, regardless of their prosperity, regardless of their popularity, regardless of their spiritual status. David, as great as David was, could not be a priest. Solomon the wisest man in the whole Bible, in the whole world, could not be a priest. Now, the primary purpose of this priesthood in the Old Testament was to administer uh, the sacrificial system. Now, 
when Jesus died on the cross, all of that was done away with. He was the supreme sacrifice. Didn't have to offer a lamb. Didn't have to offer a dove or sacrifice. He was the supreme sacrifice. He came and, and died as the supreme sacrifice for man's sins. So when Christ died on the cross, all of that was done away with. And if you remember when he died on the cross, that temple veil, the veil in the temple that separated the, the, the holy of holies from just sinful man was split from top to bottom. And so the, the, the veil was torn. And incidentally, that veil separated sinful man from the holy of holies, but that veil also symbolized the, the Old Testament Judaism. It's split, it's done away with. So therefore, instead of this elaborate religious system of the Old Testament where you had robed priests coming in and performing all of these endless sacrifices and rituals, Paul says we have something new. We don't have to have the priest offer sacrifices or yearly sacrifices or Sacrifices on holy convocations or sacred assemblies. We have something new. Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven forever as our great high priest. He's our great high priest. He is in heaven as our great high priest, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 17. And so we, as believers, are now ordained of God to function as priests down here. Now, no one's the high priest except Christ himself. He's the high priest. But here in verse 5, the Bible says that we are a holy priesthood. Now, as a believer, we're now ordained of God to function as his priest down here. Now, there's a word of warning here. When we come to the doctrine of priesthood of all believers, here's the one. There is a distorted concept by some. And some will argue that they cannot be challenged on their beliefs because they're priests of God. They will argue that they believe that this priesthood allows them the right to believe whatever they want to believe. They believe that they can interpret Scripture any way that they please as long as it's pleasing to them and as long as it's expedient for them. It's good for them. However, the doctrine is more concerned really about a person's responsibility as priest more so than the privilege of a priest. Now, we do have a privilege as priest, as God's priest, as his priesthood. The privilege is the veil has been torn. We don't have to go to a person, to, to a priest, uh, to pray and ask for our sins to be forgiven. We can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter into the presence of God ourselves now and pray and ask God to forgive us of our sins. And we can come, we can come in contact with God and we can pray and we can spend as long as we want to spend as priests before God 
praying and talking to God. That's a privilege. That's a privilege that we have. But it's not all about privileges. There's responsibility. Now, priesthood is not the liberty just to interpret the Bible any way that you want to interpret it. Neither is it liberty to reject any portion of the Bible just because you don't want to accept it. So what's the purpose of this priesthood? What's, what's the purpose of it? What are we to do down here if we're this priesthood of believers? Well, he tells us. Look at verse 5. He says, You also, as lively stones, living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You see that? So what am I to do as a priest of God? Part of this priesthood of believers. It's not as much privilege as it is responsibility. So I'm to offer up spiritual sacrifices which are well-pleasing to God, which are acceptable. Better translation is well-pleasing to God. So it's not about the privilege that I have as a priest to interpret Scripture and to reject Scripture and to include Scripture. But the whole purpose of it is not privilege, but it's responsibility for me to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are well-pleasing to God. Now, with that in mind, I'm thinking, well, Lord, what are those spiritual sacrifices well-pleasing to you? Well, it, it may be some things that we need to reflect upon re, and to renew our commitment today. So I'm going to mention four or five of these spiritual sacrifices that we as the priesthood of God are to be offering up to God. The first being in Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You know the verse. It says, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your body as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So here's our first sacrifice that we offer to God, a well-pleasing sacrifice. I'm to offer my body to Christ. Not, not necessarily my physical body, but my total being, my mind to God, my will to God. My emotions to God. I'm to offer that to God on a daily basis. Which is an acceptable will of God. It's our reasonable service. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Galatians 5.24 says this, that they, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So the question this morning, do I need to offer my body anew to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice? Do I need to offer my mind? Do I need to offer my will? Do I need to offer my emotions to Him today? We should. Secondly, a general sacrificial offering 
of monetary possessions or a desirable spiritual sacrifice. Jot down, if you will, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Listen to verse 18. Paul is thanking those who have helped him in his mission endeavors. Having received of Epirodotus, the things which were sent from you. He's thanking the church. And he says, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Have you ever thought that your giving is an acceptable sacrifice unto God? You see, a priest in the Old Testament, he would go to the holy place and he'd put incense in the altar, and these incense, would, the smell would, would rise and it would be a sweet smell. And so if a Christian in his giving is like a priest making an offering to God, when that offering is made in the right spirit, Paul is saying, well, it's more than just a donation. It's more than just taking a collection. It becomes a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. priesthood, I offer my body as a living sacrifice. I offer my monetary possessions and pray that he receives it as a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto him. Not just, I didn't have change or I'll take it next week or something like that. What sacrifice are you offering in your giving? How does God smell your offering? a lot to being a priest in the priesthood. It's not about privileges. It's about responsibilities. Number three, not only is there a sacrificial offering made, but also there's compassion for those who are lost. It's imperative spiritual sacrifice to have compassion for the lost. Hebrews 5, verse 1 and 2. Read that later. We need to offer up our compassion to those who are, who are simple ignorantly. They, they don't realize that they're lost without Christ. We need to have compassion for them. And then number four, a spiritual sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Listen to what God says. Hebrews 13, verse 15. He says... By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. You see what it's all about? It's offering up sacrifices. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. And so not only we're to offer up compassion sacrifices for those who are lost without Christ, but we're also to offer up a sacrifice of praise with our lips for thanksgiving. How in the world, Terry, can we sit in a congregation full of people, a number of people, and not offer up sacrifices of praise for what the Lord's done for us? It's a spiritual sacrifice. And then number five, prayer is a sweet-smelling sacrifice. Revelation chapter 8. Verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. 
And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints unto the golden altar, which was before the throne. And so our prayers become a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto God. When's the last time you prayed? You know, God convicted me about my prayer life and all of this. How much time do we give in sacrificing prayer to God? Praying to God, interceding on behalf of others, thanking God for what He's done for us in our life. So Christ is the living stone. Believers are the living stones, and believers are the holy priesthood. Uh, not with privilege of interpreting Scripture, rejecting Scripture, accepting Scripture <clears throat> to our pleasing, to our acceptation, but with the privilege of entering into the Holy of Holies and meeting with God, one-on-one -on -one with Jesus Christ, which is our High Priest. And then with the responsibility of offering up spiritual sacrifices that are well-pleasing to God. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. My body, my finances, my compassion, my praise, and my prayer. And so this morning, are you a part of the spiritual building? Are you a part of the, of the, the body of Christ? where Christ is the living stone, where He is the chief cornerstone? Are you a chip off the old rock of ages, so to speak? What kind of priest are you? Holy priest? Offering up spiritual sacrifices of your body, finances, compassion, praise, and prayer? Maybe time today just to renew that commitment to the priesthood of the believer. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have just to look into your word and to study your word and to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and to be our guide. Lord, I pray this morning for every person here. And I pray, Lord, perhaps in a, in a congregation this size, a gathering of this size, there's several here today who've never trusted you. They're not, they've not been added to the building. They're, they're, they, they're not living stones. They're dead in their sin. They have no life with them, within them. And so today I pray that they would see their condition and they would ask you to forgive them and to come into their life and save them and, and allow your Holy Spirit to, to reborn them, to make them alive again, to experience this new birth, to have the Holy Spirit to indwell in them, to experience the grace that the ladies sang about just a few minutes ago that they would come today and be a part of the body of Christ and the local body of believers here and get plugged in and serve you and worship you and, and live their life fully in the power of the Holy Spirit until you come or until you call them home. I pray for each one. I pray for others, perhaps, Father, who have been saved and 
But yet, for whatever reason, the world has just kind of crowded out their responsibility. And I pray, Lord, that they might come in recommitment, rededication of their life today. Lord, you want to do something great with this faith family. You really do. But, Lord, you spoke to my heart that we've got to get some things straightened out first, and we're working hard on that. And so I pray that that we would be obedient to your Holy Spirit as he leads us in what we need to do in our own personal lives as your people. So, Father, speak to our hearts this morning. And I pray for others who will be making decisions. Father, perhaps they've been saved. Perhaps they need to just get plugged in and and, uh, have a place called home. They can say, that's my church. That's my church. And we know it's your church. But referring to that's that's where I belong. That's that's where I serve my Lord. That's where I that's where I grow in Christ. That's the fellowship of believers I'm connected to. I pray, Lord, they'll come today. But whatever your will is, I pray your Holy Spirit will draw them. Thank you for what you're going to do and your mighty power that you have, that you can take lives and change them. And Lord, this grace is so marvelous. It's, it's a wonderful, marvelous grace. And our past is forgiven and our past is what it is. It's the past and you give us a new start and, and new life and we could care less about yesterday. We'll just go on today and look forward to you coming back one day. Thank you what you're going to do today as you speak to the hearts of people. Now there's a war going on, Father, in the lives of so many. The devil is really struggling. They're struggling under the power of the devil today and under the power of the Spirit. But I pray today the Spirit went out. Thank you for what you're going to do as we give our attention to you. Regardless what others may think, what others may say, it's about our relationship with you. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.